0: One of our dearest clients wrote in an email, the sense of being slash having enough has been really resonating with me lately, feeling like there isn't enough of me as a mama, wife, daughter, sister, friend, employee, community member. Not enough time, not enough for all the needs. It feels like a scarcity mindset that's difficult to break out of. Sociologist Caitlin Collins interviewed 135 working women, mothers also, From Sweden, Germany, Italy, and the United States. Guess which women were the most stressed and often broke down crying in the interviews? Sweden? Italy? No, (laughs) the U.S. Collins pointed out, American moms stood apart not only for their stress and their worry, but they were the only women that interviewed who didn't expect to have external support. It was the American moms uniquely who blamed themselves for their own stress and thought it was their own job to resolve it. Welcome to The Behaviorist with Work Wisdom, where we help you adopt high-performance mindsets, behaviors, communication, and culture. I'm your host, Sarah Colantonio. Our intention for The Behaviorist podcast is to share accessible, concrete practices that you can weave into your whole life to begin to shift toward joy and meaningful achievement. Today, we're turning our focus on mom guilt, and we're grateful to have Ashlyn Maslin Sarani, Donor Services Officer from Lancaster County Community Foundation, Vanessa Filbert, CEO at Community Action Partnership and Associate <laughs> of Work Wisdom, also Dr. Carmela Tress, Psychologist at the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs and an Associate of Work Wisdom joining us. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you all for sharing your wisdom today. So here we are, you're all leaders, and mothers. And we're we are taking it on ourselves to solve this. (laughs) No, (laughs) Um, I'm not a mother, I'm a stepmom. So I'm really interested to learn about this concept. So Ashlyn, I want to start with you. What does it mean to have mom guilt? Like this is a working mom phenomenon, correct? We're not
1: grappling with dad guilt, are we? Like, is your husband a working father? Um, I like to say career mom or um, career parent, because I think no matter um, if you're a mom, a dad, a parent, a caregiver, you're working, Mm -hmm. right? But having a career and being a parent is this special kind of challenge and balance. So my, my husband um, is a career dad. He's a software engineer. And um, I have been working full time since, uh, well, before I got pregnant, but since we had our first daughter. So I it seems like it's something that's unique to people who identify as moms in the conversations I've had. I think dad guilt is out there, mm-hmm. but I don't see dads discuss it as much. Maybe I'm just not in these conversations, but this is my, mm-hmm. I'd love to hear what you all think.
2: I would say the question is, is it about like emotional literacy Mm -hmm. and people being willing to kind of own those vulnerable feelings that they have? Because Mm -hmm. so much of mom guilt is about these struggles with feeling like something isn't enough or, you know, like something isn't being achieved the way that somebody thinks it should be. So. Is it that there's no such thing as dad or non binary or other types of parenting guilt?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Or is it that maybe mothers are starting the
3: conversations? Mm-hmm. I'd wonder. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's interesting. Um, what is mom guilt? Um, yeah, I feel like it's an evolution um, of an understanding of the beginning and ends of ourselves. You know, I feel like where I've struggled the most is when I thought you know, there's a finite amount of who I am that I can contribute to the world. And I'm trying to meet everyone's needs around who or whatever those needs are. And that contributes to like, feeling like someone's not getting the best of me or the most of me in a moment. Um, And I do think that's something that probably translates beyond moms and dads to people who are just caring for others mm-hmm. and managing yep. a lot of things. But I don't want to take away um, just the importance of the language, to your point, Karm, that we're giving by saying mom guilt is a real thing mm-hmm. um, and something that women are using language to express in a way that maybe they didn't do 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. I
1: yeah. love your definition because,
3: spoiler alert, that email was me
1: ah. <laughs> that Sarah read at the beginning. But that that sense of, what did you say, like giving the best of yourself mm-hmm. in all situations yeah. mm-hmm. and not always being able to, yeah. right? right? Like everybody has a limit. Right. But then who gets the best that day? Does yeah. your work get the best? Does your Do your kids get the best?
3: Do the dishes get the best?
1: <laughs>
2: and I think that's yeah. a really interesting mentality because when we think about giving the best of ourselves, you know, colloquially, there's always this like, I gave 110%, which one is not real, right? (laughs) Right. You cannot give more than entirely of yourself. But we can start to ask this question of where did I learn that doing well at something, doing something meaningfully, means that I give the entirety Mm
1: -hmm. of
2: myself, because the math of that requires like, all of us be five of us, right? Right, Like mm-hmm. the self that's fully caring for me, the self that's fully caring for my kids, the self that's fully caring for my friends and mm-hmm. partners. And next thing you know, like talk about tapping into scarcity, right? Mm-hmm. Like we don't have the time or the energy to be able to do that. And so our expectations versus what's possible are so discrepant
1: mm-hmm
2: that were set up, and I, I think that's the setup for mm-hmm. guilt, right, yeah. is right. that
1: right. this mismatch, right, right. but and I'm sure is, we'll talk that about that. And that is so defeating, right, like even if you can't articulate my expectations are here, and what is actually possible is much lower, because the expectations are here, it just, it kind of feels like you're constantly losing, or you're constantly not doing enough, yeah. right, yeah. Well,
3: I think part of that is, I think it's all about the story that we tell ourselves, so is there mm-hmm. a story where it's, I have to give my entire self to mm-hmm. this thing, this person, this assignment, or can I discern what is the best version of me in the present moment that I'm in mm-hmm. with whoever's in front of me? And I think that takes a lot more intentionality and clarity mm-hmm. about what you being your best looks like.
2: Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and
3: that's different for all of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, Maybe my best self is when I can always bring humor in a space that I'm in. And when <laughs> I know, when I'm not contributing that, it's a signal like, oh, I'm not feeling so great because mm-hmm. I can't even find the joy mm-hmm. or the humor, right. whether it took my kids or and we know that as moms. Right. right. So like there's things right. that your kids do. And on a certain day, it's super funny. And on the next day, it's like <laughs> you might not mm-hmm. be here.
1: Absolutely. Not. <laughs> Don't do it.
3: Um, so I think that it, yeah. it's, it's giving us margin to assess mm-hmm. that best version mm-hmm. and and showing up in that space.
2: And wow. honestly, I think a lot of that is about being present and mm-hmm. operating mm-hmm. from the present moment, tuning mm-hmm. in with what we care about and what matters to us in that moment because these are each new context is going to I think mm-hmm. like you're pointing out Vanessa mm-hmm. is going to have a different balance where we're bringing different things to this moment at this time Mm. in this context. And so oftentimes when guilt is showing up in our bodies and our minds, that's not, we're not really operating from this Mm -hmm. moment, looking in the eyes of the person across the room from us, right? It's like we're up in our heads in the story, story, you know, Mm -hmm. feeling like we can't do the thing the story is telling us we're supposed to be doing.
1: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I think... That idea of being intentional and having that sort of mindfulness—I'm just thinking that so much of parenting, unless you stop and take a breath, and so much even of being at work, it just feels like you're reactive, right? Oh yeah. And um, what yeah. you read about you—mom um, specifically in the U.S. being just in this like incredibly stressful mindset and feeling like you need to resolve it mm-hmm. on your own. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you even find space to be intentional and mindful and reflect on what your best self is? When it feels like you're drowning, oh, like yeah. what do you
3: do? Right. Yeah. I don't know, Sarah. This is your podcast. So do <laughs> answer, answer, answer questions. Have, do you have a question, or do you want us to just keep on riffing here a little bit? I. What I was
0: interested in is what. Where does it come from? Oh. Like mm-hmm.
2: the, I was going to start right. with you,
0: Carm. What yeah. sets this off? What's the igniter?
2: Um. Of where guilt comes from. Yeah. Yeah, so I think uh, not to get too into to dip it into theory here for a second, but you know, when we are learning and developing language skills, there's automatically from, you know, infancy, childhood as we start to put words to our experiences, we start to build stories and we relate things to other things, right? It's really important for us to be able to know like dangerous, safe, Right. But bigger, smaller, you know, poisonous, safe to eat. Right. There's all these comparative frames, frames around time and space and all this that are really important for us to be able to comprehend, to be able to navigate the world. But what starts to happen as complex language starts to develop in all of these like psych nerd theory stuffs, acceptance and commitment therapy, (laughs) relational frame theory, is that we start to apply these things to more than just contexts where it's helpful. We start to apply it to ourselves versus other people. So now, you know, an innocuous example is like foods that are safe and good to eat good meaning not kill you, Mm -hmm. and foods that are harmful to eat. But good and bad, when we start saying good parent, bad parent, Mm -hmm. right, good kid, bad kid, starts to be wildly unhelpful, Mm -hmm. right? But a lot of times what happens from that guilt perspective that I think you're talking about is something cues it the emotion shows up, it shows up in our bodies, and then we're entirely immersed in the story and we're not taking a step back to go, oh, look, a story has showed up. Mm -hmm. I wonder what I want to do with that. And I think it speaks to the statistic you quoted, Sarah, because if we can step back from the story and go, huh, Well, do I think that's something I want to buy into? Where do I think I got that from? Who benefits from me buying into this story? And if I don't want to live my life in alignment with that story right now, then maybe I can interact with it differently. I can let it be background noise, I can align my behaviors in another direction. But instead, a lot of times what we do is we try to do this quick reconciliation because it's discrepancy, right? And we don't like cognitive dissonance and uncertainty and all of those uncomfortable feelings. So it's a lot more controllable to be like, this is probably my fault. So why don't I just, because we can control our own behavior, right? And we know Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. So it it, our mind almost creates this narrative that if we take more control over it, it could somehow become manageable. But that sets us up in this like oh, wild so cycle, right? <laughs> so Where now we're trying to control all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That and you're just not in your head, oh, Vanessa. Yeah. So. so
3: I mean, I think it's you know, for me, it's comparison is a thief of joy. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and how can I find joy in the things that? Um, you know, I've been assigned to do in this world if I'm constantly comparing myself right. to whatever I think someone else who's doing it better, whatever that means. Um, so I, you know, I think there's this place about, and this has been my experience, is that oftentimes when we are struggling with comparison um, and we have an internal narrative, we're looking for evidence and we will find it. Mm-hmm. So if I want evidence that I'm not a good mom today, I'll think about the interaction with my kid where I was short. Um, If I want to find evidence about how I wasn't a good leader today, I'll reflect on a part of a meeting that maybe didn't go the way that I wanted it to go. So this training of ourselves of Mm -hmm. saying, okay, I've got to recalibrate what I'm looking for evidence for.
2: Right. Mm -hmm. And that's confirmation bias what you're talking about. But I think we also aren't necessarily trained as people to think like, all information is interpreted. So anything I encounter, I have to make sense of. And so I can frame that through the lens of, wow, look at this great thing I did. Or I can frame the very same piece of data through, wow, that wasn't perfect. What a F up. (laughs) And it can literally be the same exact thing. And so not taking that step back from our thoughts and experiences Mm -hmm. and noticing some of this can set us up. Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, Ashlyn, I was thinking, you know, now that you outed yourself with (laughs) this, I I wanted to say too, you had mentioned about social media. And when I, when I was Mm -hmm. saying how does, you know, what sets it off, that sort of came to mind when, you know, it's such an easy
1: place to compare. Oh my goodness. Yeah. When you see a picture of um, a really happy family that's one of your friends and you love them so much and they're they're baking something and all their kids are wearing matching clothes or even clothes that just don't have stains on them
3: and they're like (laughs) all looking
1: at the camera and smiling and it's like, oh my gosh, if I took a picture of my house right now and you know, you know in your head like that is not, completely real
3: well you know it took them a hundred takes right, right, to right. Get that because picture. if the children are looking at yeah. the camera like it took
1: a th- yeah a hundred takes but that um comparison creeps in i think it's not just social media social media is definitely even like the ads that are marketed mm-hmm. at oh, parents yeah. right all these like beautiful yeah so that yeah. that can kind of get in there
2: i think that's huge because these triggers like ads social media these things that set up really interesting stories, right? Like, you should live in a house that never looks or feels lived in. Right? Not possible. <laughs> it's literally impossible. Yeah. But, you know, mm-hmm. that's where asking the question, like, who benefits from me buying into this story is a really interesting one. Because mm-hmm. I think a lot of mom guilt is related to things that are actually meant to sell products. Mm-hmm. Um So things like Oh, wow, you just had a baby. You should look like you never had a baby. So here are the, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of products that you should buy, right? Accurate. So it's really interesting to think, like, whether it's the home, the kids' outfits, the activities, like, the, the things the mom is supposed to look like or do or be mm-hmm, – mm-hmm. A lot of that if it's triggering that guilt we should ask if somebody's trying to make a buck off it because a lot of times they are yeah yeah successful yeah so, uh,
0: so this is really interesting uh you know i was talking about that sociologist earlier and in sweden like there's this joke that when americans get off the plane they're like why do swedes hire so many men to be nannies And the joke is their fathers, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, so I, Vanessa, I wanted to start with you. What does balance look like? You know, is it about fair expectations between both parents, like figuring out what that is? What, what are we, what are we talking about here?
3: I mean, I think balance starts with self. Right. So before I can require my partner to help me find balance, I've got to create some internal balance. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think for me, the way I try to do that is being kind, um, being curious, being honest. Um, and setting good boundaries, uh, which is not easy for me to do because I'm a two on the Enneagram. So I am wired to like overextend myself every single time. Boundaries are hard. And they are hard. And I think what makes it difficult for those of us who are in the world feeling like our purpose in the world is to help, It becomes really hard because then it doesn't feel like i'm fulfilling my purpose if i'm not helping everyone Mm. all the time so i think there's a place there but it's also like invitation so i've got to invite you know my partner in and my kids in to like Mm -hmm. this is a story that i'm telling myself about this give me other data points about the story because Mm -hmm. sometimes i think we have guilt and when we talk to our kids or our partner they're not even thinking about the things that we're thinking about the data points don't aren't as impactful as we think they are and and vice versa there are some things that really like are big things for them that we think are the things that we can like you know trim trim the fat around and if we're intentional about um communication and and this idea of like we're all committed to each other and we care about each other i think we can create more balance but Um, oftentimes I think we're pursuing balance with getting no information from anybody else who's a part of the equation. Yeah. So I think finding balance for me has been, I remember when um, I decided to go back to college as a working adult, I was 31 or something. So my kids were, I don't know, 10 five and four you know like young kids Mm -hmm. and my husband and i we have different things that we bring to our family um i do most of the cooking he does mostly all the other things which we are grateful for (laughs) um but it was a it was a small thing of saying we had a family meeting with small kids saying mom really wants to do this thing it's really important to her and it's important for you guys um long term but this is what it means for our family it means she won't be home these nights it means she needs time to study it means that dad's gonna learn how to do some cooking um and you're gonna have to be gracious with him about that Mm -hmm. um yeah you know it's it's about learning and building culture around helping each other and it was just that moment of like we 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 rocked that schedule for five years um but I remember when I graduated those four faces were the most important faces in the audience and they were beaming they were so proud because i invited them in Hmm. i didn't say i'm gonna go back to school i'm gonna figure it out nothing has to change here and i think that's part of bringing balance is kind it's curious and it's honest but it's an invitation
1: Hmm. that's Amazing. amazing
3: yeah yeah, I don't always do it right, but in my <laughs> mind, in reflection, yeah. I should.
1: I'm just kind of stunned because I'm thinking that I feel like the typical way would be what what you said you didn't do, which is I'm going to try to make this as smooth as possible for my family. For I'm going to handle right. all the things. Mm-hmm. And no one has maybe, to. Feel, right. No one has to make any adjustments. Right. Just or me. feel right. inconvenience, right. and then maybe implode because yeah. <laughs> how is that possible? Yeah, I yeah. love that. Yeah,
2: that's. I think that's really key what you're pointing out with that too, because I think somehow along the way I've encountered a lot of people in my own life included that have these ideas or will kind of verbalize things around like, I shouldn't change as a person, so I'm somehow like hurting or violating my relationships Mm -hmm. if I change as a person, if my needs change, if the things I wanna do change and then other people have to adjust in accordance with that. And it's really interesting to step back from that, because that I certainly had internalized that. And stepping back from that and thinking, wait, what are the what's the implication of being the same exact person I was as a young adult, let's even say 25 and be gracious there, (laughs) as I am in my 40s, 50s, 60s, if I'm able to live that long, right? So like, It's really interesting to think that we would do so much to try to maintain Mm -hmm. not, you know, and we tell ourselves these stories, right, that Mm -hmm. we're hurting other people, imposing on other people because we'd be asking for adjustment, flexibility, partnership, change. And I think that's a big part of when moms are transitioning in jobs, Mm -hmm. transitioning schedules. It's like, I'm asking for change. And that implies that it's such a bad, terrible thing. When it's like, do we really want to not change? Mm. Not grow, not push ourselves, not try new things our whole lives? like, Is
3: that something we'll be satisfied with? Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think here's the thing is, dissatisfaction leads to resentment. And there is nothing like a mom who is filled with resentment. Mm-hmm. It is a tough space to live in for herself mm-hmm. and for the people around her. So I think this idea of, you know, um, being open to the evolution of who we are as people is, it's real. Mm-hmm. It's real life. I think one of the things that I try to remind myself of is that there's a season for everything. Mm-hmm. So there's a season for me when I was changing diapers and running kids to daycare, and and that was a different season of my life. And um, I'm in a different season now where it's like, I've got one kid left in high school, <laughs> I have adult children. Mm-hmm. Um, what it means to be present and available to them looks very different right. than what it looked like when they were little. Yeah. And in some ways I've learned some things about um, the moments that I missed, you know, and I had to reconcile that mm-hmm. and just as as they've gotten older, be able to talk about that. Um, you know, my youngest will always remind me of, like, you know, just feeling like I'm always busy, which is true. Mm-hmm. But one thing that I think we've found balance in is that, like, she checks my schedule every day. Wow. So she pulls my phone out, she looks at my Outlook, mm-hmm. and she's like, can you commit to being home at this time? Wow. Mm-hmm. Like, your last wow. meeting's at 4. Will you be home by 5? You know, and sometimes I get there and sometimes I don't, but I've also learned that, like, you um, if I can maintain those commitments on the days that we can agree and on the days that I can say to her, I don't really know how long that's going to be, mm-hmm. but I don't—I just keep, don't be mad at me about it.
1: Mm. Right,
3: right. It gives me permission to be the CEO that I need to be, but it also makes me feel like she's not ba- mad at me for being the CEO. Right. Right, so I'm just, we're trying to find some ways, because she said something to me, and I told her we were going to do this podcast. She says, I was like, oh, I have mom give all the time, and my kids are big. And I was like, do you ever feel like... You know, I miss some things. She's like, oh, I would always, like, never tell you about um, things for school because I just knew you, your schedule, like, you couldn't come. And I was like... Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> like, now she's 16, and now she's telling mm. me that she didn't tell me about things that were Mm. available at elementary school to invite your parents to do because she was just like, I know you didn't have that flexibility. Mm. And I was like, well, that's kind of terrible, Maya. Why would you do that? (laughs) Um, But it was her way of probably feeling like she was trying to help me find balance and knowing that I didn't have a lot of capacity and not as much flexibility then either. Mm -hmm. So, yeah.
2: That is, well, one, that feels painful. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I, I think... You know, one of the things that shows up for me is just that we we have a lot of pain in life. There's a, The fact that we can't be five people at the same time means that we're going to have these disappointments. That's mm-hmm. the natural type of pain. It's not that somebody did something wrong and this pain is here. And we have to figure out how to live with that without kind of abandoning what really matters to mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's really interesting to think of like... The pain of missing out on, you know, things that we can't make time for because we're working moms versus the pain of, you know, not loving our kids, right? Mm -hmm. So many people have these stories of parents that were really aggressively abusive, right? So not quite to the point of... Like, the guilt that so often we get triggered with is, like, I didn't perfectly do blank. My lunches don't look as cute as the other parents, <laughs> yeah. right? I didn't cut out sandwiches. Yeah. right? And yeah. I think that context of, like, okay, where's the line here? Mm-hmm. Like, it's disappointing that I don't have that kind of time and energy. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, just – I literally just don't have the energy to do some of those things. I love to cook, and I just can't take 15 more minutes to cut dino shapes.
3: (laughs) And I think, like, does it bring you joy? Like, to your point, Carm, to, like, does it serve you well? Like, I'm trying to figure out, like, how do we give ourselves permission to show up, you know, as a mom, and and really lean into the things that bring us the most joy. As but a I parent. think a
2: part of the disappointment is that we don't have time for all the things oh, that 100%. will bring us joy. That's mm-hmm. that's where time is the only actually scarce resource, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Our love, our values, oh, our yeah. intention towards people are not finite resources, but arguably money and certainly time, time right. are scarce. And right. so, in those times, being able to say like. Okay, like, how do I sit with my disappointment mm-hmm. that I couldn't do this thing that t- typically brings me joy, but I just can't fit it
1: in? Yeah, mm-hmm.
3: How does and, that feel for you, Ashley, when you yeah. think about, like, time? Is that the place where you feel the biggest pinch around mom guilt? Definitely. Mm.
1: Because there, I feel like you'd need, like, double the amount of hours in a day to mm-hmm. actually do, right, the cleaning. Even though, you know, you're sharing it. I get, I get to share it with a partner. Yeah. I'm lucky that way. Um But it is, and and not even just the like time in the day, but also the passage of time, Mm. right? Like my, our kids Mm. are seven, four, and two. And so I swear the first few years, it's like, I mean, maybe it just keeps going that way. But there's so many different little milestones and ways they change. Mm -hmm. And when you're not there during the day, like the reality, it's it's just the reality that you're missing out on some of that, you Mm -hmm. know? And so, yeah, I think it is the passage of time, but then time is almost a commodity. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
3: And I wonder, too, I know for me, I remember when my girls were younger, and I was, you know, working, um, you know, I had to do this thing in my mind of like, OK, if I missed her first step mm-hmm. that I had to say to myself, when I see it, it'll be the first for me. Aww. So it was like that reframe of like, yeah, I, I might have missed, though, so if, you know, at the time my husband was working third shift. So maybe he got the benefit of some of those moments. Mm-hmm. But I would still be able to have my moment. It just wouldn't be her, you know. So just recalibrating and reframing that was like a way I think for me to ease the disappointment, maybe. Yeah. Where I was like, okay, I got the phone call, or he sent me a picture, Mm -hmm. and I wish I would have been there. But she's gonna like splatter, you know, pears somewhere else. You know, like I'm gonna get that. It'll still be precious. It'll still be precious. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm. I'm really impressed with how you all are bring it inward. Like, what can I do for myself and, and with your partners and everything? But I, you know, Karma, I wanted to ask you what advice you want to give to leaders that who run organizations and they have employees um, or colleagues who are parents, career parents. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, how can we make these organizational cultures more parent friendly? Like, what's the solution? You know, is it just a mindset shift, or is it policy? Is it culture change? Like, what what does it mean to
2: um, kind of blow this apart? Yeah, um, I think that mindset shift drives policy shift because if our uh, attitudes don't change, then you know how will we then make our structures and the way we're approaching work change? Mm-hmm. Um, but I really, I think some of it is related to flexibility and the pandemic has really brought a lot of this up that not just wearing multiple hats and the burnout and guilt that comes from that. Um, but just the general mental and emotional fatigue that's then dropping our energy. And now we're tapping into that time, energy, uh, scarcity Mm -hmm. situation. And so when we, when we as employees, when we as leaders, depending on which level you're working on, are trying to show up to have a thriving organization, sometimes you have to make choices around like, how do we make space to empower, to stay on point with the mission of what our organization is pursuing at the time? And not to say that, things like financial solvency and things like that uh, pale in comparison, though at times I think they should um, because there is so much literature about being able to thrive and that being able to create kind of sustained longer term outcomes. And I think at times what that requires of leaders in the mindset shift first is how do we embrace flexibility letting go of control, uncertainty, Mm. these are life skills that are really hard to do in general and worthwhile for every person to Mm. spend time cultivating. That distress tolerance of sitting in uncertainty so that we can respond intentionally rather than reactively Mm -hmm. in the specific context in a way that takes our values, our goals, our mission, and then everybody that's involved into account. And that's a really complex thing to be able to do. But really, in many ways, that's what leaders are tasked with, is how do we navigate this complex interaction of things? Because unless you are the leader of a robot, task force right (laughs) which some people are right Right, they run they run rooms and machines right and that's fine but if your people are the ones that are driving your product or you know the goals you're trying to achieve your mission then you can't act inconvenienced by the fact that they are people right? Mm -hmm. If you can't automate what they're doing, if that's really what you want, then automate what they're doing, right? If the Mm -hmm. fact that you have to deal with a human being is like the deal breaker, right? But so often, the creativity, fluidity, vibrancy that your humans are bringing to your workforce is a part of what's making your product good. Mm -hmm. So that, I think, puts leaders in this precarious position. And Vanessa, I'm going to want to hear your thoughts in this. But Can we do the distress tolerance work, that mindful stepping back work of saying, how do I partner with my staff, with my workforce, Mm -hmm. to be able to be flexible in the moment, making decisions, adjusting, Mm -hmm. responding Mm -hmm. intentionally, to then solve problems creatively together as they show up? Because problem solving takes that blame uh, addressing off of the individual mom, who's now racked with guilt because they're like, I'm supposed to control the whole universe, and puts it back in communal, right, with work as one of the communities that yes. we're partnering in. And so I really think leaders have this opportunity to take a look at themselves and say, do I listen to my staff when they're telling me their needs and their pain, am I willing to be uncomfortable? Am I willing to respond flexibly, collaboratively, creatively, drawing from what's working at other places and then use that innovation to drive the product, right? Mm. Not to meander in the middle of the wilderness and have (laughs) our businesses close. right? Our med centers, everything's closing (laughs) down. But instead saying, what if the best of all of us drives the best?
3: Mm -hmm.
2: And that's really not, A mentality that comes that you come to easily right you have to kind of do that on
3: purpose yeah i think what's fascinating for me it's it's been really thinking about authenticity Mm -hmm. and if we don't see people as whole they're not their authentic selves and we're creating an environment in which we're saying you're not invited to be your authentic self here so um, I'm also, I think, careful that that flexibility doesn't just live at one level of the organization. And mm-hmm. how do we do that in a way that feels equitable yeah. when there are some roles in the organization that don't have the same kind of flexibility? Yeah. So mm-hmm. supervisors have to really get creative about mm-hmm. what support looks like. Right. Um, because yeah, if you're a frontline person and your, your physical presence is required to get the job done, it becomes difficult to say, oh, there's a job that requires physical presence. That's a, work, that's a career mom mm-hmm. who's part of our team, mm-hmm. but we can't offer her that same flexibility. That doesn't feel great, especially mm-hmm. when the higher up in the organization you go, that flexibility does exist right. yeah. because of the, yeah. we can do our works in yeah. more off-site, more remote ways. Mm-hmm. I think if that's anything that we learned from COVID, for sure we did. Yeah. Um, so I think for me, it's about um, asking the question about equity, What does that look like? And Mm -hmm. equity, you know, I just had our staff do an exercise around this, of like, let's define it. Because it's not equal. Right, right. (laughs) Right. It is very much that. It's very not. It is is a commitment to fairness. Mm -hmm. And how do we create fairness? So maybe for a frontline person, fairness is providing flexibility around an appointment and looking for Mm -hmm. coverage. you know, maybe fairness is making sure that there are breastfeeding locations throughout nursing spots, throughout our building that are accessible to everyone mm-hmm. who's on our team. Mm-hmm. Um, and just making, I think the biggest thing for me and supporting, and I have some moms on my team who directly report to me, who are in that younger stage of having, you know, babies, um, which we love. <laughs> um, it, it's little things. It's like when they jump up on Zoom, I'm so intentional about saying hi and yeah. just affirming the presence of those kiddos yeah. in that space because those moms are usually like
1: <gasps> <Can't "Alar-> I'm- <laughs> I'm- <laughs> <laughs>
3: I just try to create um, relationship mm-hmm. and levity of saying, oh, my mm-hmm. gosh, I'm so happy to see you. Tell me more about what are you doing mm-hmm. today. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that creates authenticity because mm-hmm. I know that they are not, you know, we're not flat Stanleys. Yeah. I don't know if you guys remember that book. Yeah. Stanley yeah. just got mailed everywhere. He, yeah. We're three dimensional whole people mm-hmm. with complicated experiences in the world. And mm-hmm. my hope is that I can create space in our team that they might the team who are right now really raising younger kids can feel supported. Mm-hmm. You know, I have moms on my team who are nursing and will mm-hmm. go camera free. And they're like, mom duty. I'm like, great, got it. You know, yeah, right? but we've yeah. created that culture on our mm-hmm. team where it's like, even though we have men on our team, that there's no shame in that, right? right. And there's right. no like, oh, she's not getting her jobs done because we know that they are bringing their best selves. And if mm-hmm. they don't feel guilty about what they have to do to be a mom, then I don't want them to feel guilty to what they have to do to be a leader.
2: Yeah, Yeah. I, I think that. you're speaking to... This really intensely creative problem solving, though, because you're right, there are so many jobs that you have to spend at least a minimum amount of time, a certain amount of time present on the floor and being able to say, okay, well, then what do we do with the rest of your time? Can we be flexible with how you document? Mm -hmm. Can we be like, let's actually dig in there, not ignore boundaries and limits, Mm -hmm. right, and not feel... Let not take on guilt right. about boundaries and limits, but saying, okay, is there a space to be creative mm-hmm, here then? Right. Then let's get innovative. Let's get creative. Right. Like we don't have to end the story at all or nothing. Right. We can mm-hmm. get in this kind of
3: super flexible middle, yeah. which right. is
2: hard. That puts more onus on the leaders well, to do time. that. Right.
3: right. And to know that like, you know, I know for me, I'm not a big... And my team, you know, they love me, I think, sometimes. But, you know, I'm always like, how many more policies? Like, and I'm, and I'm so much more about, tell me about the practice. What is it that we're trying to put in practice? And does that need a policy? I'm mm-hmm. with you. But mm-hmm. if it's a practice that we're trying to cultivate, can we lean into the practice? So mm-hmm. um, I'm trying to find balance in that too, because I know that when you have a large staff, there are going to be needs that come up that you just can't meet those needs, right. and then that doesn't mm-hmm. feel great. But if we're really talking, targeting this idea, we have people in our community of work. Um, that are career parents and they need some flexibility, what does that look like? Mm -hmm. Because I just feel like it's a fair exchange. That flexibility gets me someone who wants to be there, Mm -hmm. who's willing to go the extra mile for the job, um, who sees themselves as someone who is cared for, seen, and valued, and Mm -hmm. I think will reciprocate that to the organization. So I feel like it is is an investment, but it's one that's going to give you some return.
1: Yeah. Can I call out something you said about value? Because I almost feel like even a step before how do we be creative and how do we, like, you have to value your employees mm-hmm. um, enough that the changes are worth it. And so something I've experienced as a career mom is it is tough for some coworkers who maybe um, were stay-at-home parents, right, who when their kids were younger, that was not the norm that moms mm-hmm. were working, dads were working, but moms were not working, um, or that there's really a confusion about why would you work, like, why would you be a mom, and have children and work right and so there's all these these stereotypes mm. and really stigmas and mindsets that if you have that in the workplace it yeah. almost feels like a step before like you have to know that your your working parents and specifically your working moms have value and be willing to make those changes around it does that make sense yeah, yeah i think yeah. some of that speaks to women not being valued though mm-hmm. you know because
2: generationally yeah. i grew up uh in a family that was like immigrant very maternal driven mm-hmm. the my grandmother my mother were all you know workers my mom was a sta- was a uh, single mom mm-hmm. for a period of time like and so the mentality that i was raised in and this i think speaks to the fact that we get our stories mm-hmm. from what mm-hmm. we're exposed to so leaders have to navigate the fact that different people are bringing different mm-hmm. stories right, in right. Oh, and so being yeah. able to cultivate the conversations sometimes has to be one on one what's making this difficult for you let's partner together but i think having women in the workplace having having diversity at all in the workplace whether that's racial diversity gender diversity it's like now you can't be cookie cutter and be like, well, this is what you have to do. You have to give everything to here, deal with whatever shows up. (laughs) And and that's just not in anymore. And I think people during the pandemic, I think this has highlighted a lot. But I also think that as social justice movements have happened, we're now seeing people saying, I don't want to live under that anymore. That's not that's contributing to my guilt, my burnout, like, that's not what I want my life to be about anymore. That's going to be a seed of regret for me.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think what's interesting about, too, what you said, Ashlyn, is... Um, Almost like you're trying to explain it to the generation that was there before you. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's like you're looking for permission and be like, don't give me a hard time about like this mom guilt thing or the fact that I'm looking to have balance and do all the things because maybe that wasn't how you showed up in the world at that time. Mm -hmm. Um, I do think that's just helping set some norms in the organization around that. This has evolved Mm -hmm. Um, and we want, you know, we talk about choice so much in this country um, and it is about choice. Like I should have the choice to say, I want to be a mom and a partner and a worker (laughs) and a learner and I don't have to not be all those things. I think what I have a responsibility to is to determine how much of that can I do in one season of my life and not have regret about it. Right, mm, right.
2: And you know I, what I mean? Yeah. I love there it. may yeah, always I just, be yeah. some regret mm-hmm. because it's not going to be easy and clear all the time. I think there is a little bit of a mentality of what do we do with FOMO, right? What do we do <laughs> when we have to miss out on something mm-hmm. or when something doesn't pan out the way we had expected it to? And so often I think that can be a place of guilt and regret instead of going, wait a second, I never would, I'm yeah. not a fortune teller. Right. I never would have known this. Right. So how do I just respond to this new information I'm gaining mm-hmm. instead of turning it inward and blaming myself and right. now feeling regret or self-punishment or criticism or things yeah. right. based on that? Because how could you have known, right.
3: Right? right? right. And I think for me, and then maybe it's, you know, part of me is there's an internal optimism piece of like, <laughs> I'm just going to try to find the joy in it. Yeah. yeah, you know I'm gonna find the joy in the moments that I have. I'm gonna try to find the joy in the decisions that I made. Mm-hmm. You know I'll lament when I need to lament, mm-hmm. um, but I really I th- you know I feel like I can be my best self when I can find like what's the one good thing that came out of this, even if it mm-hmm. was a lesson mm-hmm. about right. you did too much in that season and it cost you. Right, right. I'm gonna right. walk away knowing that oh, there's a way that I have to approach things because I do have a limit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. I love yeah. that reflection. Can I add one policy Yeah. to yeah,
1: yeah. belabor this conversation? But um, maternity leave, specifically oh. maternity leave, parental leave in general. But my gut feeling without having read the study from the sociologist that you referenced, Sarah, is that the fact that still in the United States we have no paid parental leave for people who have had a baby mm. and almost every other country does. Mm-hmm. So in terms yeah. of a policy that companies can put into place, paid parental leave that is not for moms and dads, moms and, <laughs> and, dads. Yeah. Yeah, we're yep. and it yep. is not short-term disability short-term tr- dis- disability is great but what you're asking your employee to do is to take a pay cut yep. at a time when mm-hmm. their medical costs are going up their living costs are going up they are probably daycare costs are oh, happening absolutely yeah. and so mm-hmm. paid parental leave i love it
0: ashlyn thank you for bringing this up as a topic i i'm sure there are people out there that are feeling heard (laughs) when they hear this episode. Um, I'm grateful for all of you for being part of this movement of helping others in the workplace enhance their individual and collective team performance. Um, Part of that, it's really going to be paid maternity leave, parental Mm -hmm. leave. Uh, Thank you, listeners, for downloading The Behaviorist. We hope that you'll subscribe. You can also reach out to us through our our website, workwisdomllc.com where you can enjoy Work Wisdom Press and productions, ask questions and give suggestions of topics, uh, just like Ashlyn did, uh, <laughs> that you'd like us to explore in future episodes. As is our custom, we'll leave you with a quote. I had to go with Michelle Obama. I mean, She's go a, for she's on, a leader and a Obama. mother. She said, for me, being a mother made me a better professional because mm. coming home every night to my girls reminded me of what I was working for and being a professional made me a better mother. Because by pursuing my dream, I was modeling for my girls how to pursue their dreams. 100% Michelle. Thank you. She deserves applause.
1: (laughs) Yes. Thank you.